Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force. I am your host, Brad Whipple, and today on the show, we have a very special guest, appropriately, because we will be talking about the music of John Williams and the importance of his contributions to the Star Wars universe. We are joined by composer Christy Carew. Christy, how's it going today? Hi, going very well. Thank you so much for having me. Very happy and honored to have you on the show, and thank you for your time. And we are recording here the Sunday before Thanksgiving, so it is a week full of uh, many joyful events uh, with family to come, and just a lot of excitement is in the air. And Tross, we are finally under a month left until the Rise of Skywalker hits oh theaters. Oh my gosh! Right? Yeah, I just I have to look at my countdown and see what the official. <laughs> Not that any of us are counting. Days. 24 days. Wow. Oh, man. We are we are closing in. And what we really want to do here at Friends of the Force is cover the music of John Williams and really kind of send a, a love letter almost to his contributions and talk about why the music of Star Wars is as much of importance as anything else like directing and acting and story and mythology, all those things, because it is an entire package. And without part of that package, it doesn't really work as a whole, I think. And uh, John Williams being one of the most you know legendary composers of all time, you know, a career that spans five decades with five Academy Awards, 50 Oscar nominations. He's the most Mm -hmm. uh, nominated living person and second most nominated person in the history of the Oscars. And he recently was nominated for The Force Awakens. And uh, his career began in 1948, which is crazy to think about. It's when he moved to Los Angeles and he was in the Air Force and he went to Juilliard school and he worked at nightclubs and on recordings and he became a studio musician. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he just did so much and he started composing at the end of the fifties. And I believe, uh, how to steal a million was one of his first, which was a comedy with Audrey Hepburn. So his career is very tenured and how lucky we are to have his music within the star Wars universe. And still to this day, having such Absolutely. an impact. So before we get started, Christy, could you give our listeners an uh, introduction to to yourself and kind of why you're on this episode specifically? Sure. Um, so I've been a Star Wars fan since I was six years old. So that's even before I even started studying music, which I started about two years after that. And uh, hearing the music for Star Wars was what really kind of jump-started me into wanting to do film music. I've actually known since that age that that's what I wanted to do. It took me a little longer to understand that it's actually a job that people can study and, and learn how to do and then go do. And for the longest time, I didn't realize that women did it. Um, All of my favorite composers were men and that didn't really mean anything to me until I was a teenager and I saw Rachel Portman win an Oscar. And then it kind of clicked like, oh, that's something like I could do this. I could actually do it instead of just loving this. Like I was a piano player and I was writing little pieces as a kid and stuff. So I ended up going on to study music in college and then I went for grad school to study film scoring and moved out to LA shortly afterward. And my Star Wars fandom has been a huge part of my life that entire time. You know, I was there opening night for all the release of the special editions and then for the prequels and um, so far every one of the sequels. And a couple of years ago, I kind of started getting into the fandom in a new way, which was through YouTube and Tumblr and the Raylo fandom, of course. And (laughs) I started meeting people who wanted me to come on their podcasts and talk about the music. And I started a blog where I was writing music metas about, um, I started with the sequel trilogy and ended up going on and to the original trilogy and the prequels and my fandom just kind of came back to life in this really huge way after seeing the force awakens um not that it ever left me but 
it really like in that time period in between the original trilogy and the prequels, I don't really play video games or read comics. So all I had was the movies on VHS and the extended universe, you know, what's called legends. Now I read every single one of those books until they were dog eared and the covers falling off. (laughs) You know, I had my little action figures and stuff, but it's really, uh, the sequel trilogy has created this new side of the fandom that I hadn't experienced before with all of these different um, creators from so many different backgrounds coming together to make podcasts and meta and art and music and all of this stuff. And I kind of just got wrapped up in the in the excitement of that and in getting to share ideas with all these different people that I'd never interacted with before. So it's been really, really wonderful. And um, yeah, I am a film music composer out here in Hollywood. I've been working here for 13 years. And um, some of the things that I've arranged music for, written additional music for, you'd probably recognize, but a lot of my work as a composer is on independent film that a lot of people probably haven't seen. Um, But, you know, I'm just putting one foot in front of the other and working my way up and I had a pretty amazing past two years in that I got to do the Sundance Film Music Lab in 2018. So I got to go up to Skywalker Ranch and stay there for two weeks. That is amazing. Wow. Amazing. And then this year, um, I got to do the ASCAP Film Scoring Workshop, which meant that I was on the Fox Newman Scoring Stage uh, in nighttime when previously the musicians that were playing my my scene for that recording session earlier that day they had been recording on the rise of skywalker the same place wow (laughs) so it was pretty amazing and i actually saw you know some people some players that i knew from just other things that i'd worked on or other sessions i'd been to and they know what a big john williams fan i am and so they were just you know obviously they can't say anything about it but when i asked them like "How, how has your past week been they're just shaking their head in disbelief of you know we get to do this. We get to play on his ninth symphony. We get to close out this incredible, unprecedented chapter in the history of film music and film in general. And I saw some photos from the other night, which was the last official thing that they will ever, rec- John Williams will ever record from Star Wars. Um, oh one my of the gosh, that's crazy. posted some pictures and, you know, they've got champagne, they've got cake, and the look on John Williams's face is just, you know, you can tell he's excited, he's tired, but it's mostly just you can see gratitude on his face that he is the person who got to record this entire, write and record the music for this entire saga spanning this 40 year period that's become so beloved to so many people worldwide. It's really, truly one of a kind and so special that we have him still. Yeah. And this episode comes at a perfect time. I'm glad you brought that up in terms of this was the final, a couple of days ago, was the final piece of music he'll ever record for Star Wars. And um, I just appreciate how much of a John Williams fan you are. And I'm just so happy to have you on the show with, based on your background, how passionate you are for for music composition, because I don't think I would you know want to talk about it with anybody else because that's, I mean, you really know the ins and outs and you're definitely working very hard. And it's great to see you even helping a lot of us in the, the podcasting community, like What the Force and and um, Scavengers Horror, you know, writing their their theme songs mm-hmm. for those podcasts, which are great. So I'm super excited to talk about, you know, the impact of John Williams and Star Wars music and just really gush about why this stuff hits so close to home for us. So uh, in terms of when, you know, John Williams first got involved in Star Wars, he was actually recommended by Spielberg because he had worked on Jaws with Spielberg. And at that time, you know, popular music in the 60s and 70s were very much about jazz. And that was kind of the rage. And Gary Kurtz, who was the producer on 
the Star Wars films, he really wanted something that was more, uh, we called, very, it was very important to be a traditional romantic score. And I think that really hits home as to why John Williams' music is so good in Star Wars. It's because it's not, it's not techno-y, which there's nothing wrong with that, but at least for Star Wars, which is a space drama, it's fantasy. I think a romantic score really fits well to hit home on a lot of the story beats and mythologies that we're getting exposed to. He talked about, at least when he was scoring The Empire Strikes Back, and I was watching this documentary from 1980 called Star Wars Music by John Williams, and it was narrated by Anthony Horder. He said, you know, sometimes it comes very quickly and is a nice flow. Other times I hold my head in my hand and think, is it ever going to come? And I think that's kind of an insight into the yep. these struggles of of composing. And it's kind of like a writer's block, but it's so much it's so much different. Having him direct those the the music in the original trilogy, I mean, what do you, why when we sat in that theater in 1977 and the words, the opening crawl popped on the screen, like why was it the music itself that really had as much of an impact as anything else we were watching? Well, it's like you said, you know, this style of film music had really fallen out of fashion at that point. The old school Korngold or Steiner style of writing these big epic romantic film scores with late motifs like Wagner and other influences from classical music. Because if you listen to his music, especially for Star Wars, there isn't so many influences on it from other types of film music. It's all classical music. So when I was doing that workshop this summer, we were having our orchestration lessons with the great composer Bruce Broughton. Um, he did the music for Tombstone and for all these other incredible like westerns and amazing films from the 80s and 90s. And he was breaking down, like he would always use John Williams as an example, breaking down how these different pieces of classical music had really influenced him. And a lot of the temp for Star Wars came from Gustav Holst, The Planets. And you feel yes. there's a lot lot of videos that you know compare and contrast how John Williams took the inspiration from that temp and made it his own so audiences were sitting down to watch this film and of course there were all sorts of new filmmaking techniques being utilized ultimately it's a western right it's a fantasy it's all of these elements from our American culture and our American fantasy and the way the the stories that we've always been attracted to paired with this score that felt very lush and romantic and classical using these leitmotifs for different characters and situations and calling on traditions of classical music and and just music that is extended back to when we originally started getting polyphonic music from Gregorian chant. So for example, in the moment where Luke accepts the call to his hero's journey, when he goes back to his aunt and uncle's home and he sees that the empire has already been there and there's just these burnt out skeletons lying there. As the force theme swells, we also hear the DS ray in the background. That is the traditional chant that accompanied any sort of reference for death in our original culture of these monks and polyphonic music. And it's been used over and over again in the history of film music to always represent these moments of death and destruction. It's woven in there along with the force theme, which is one of the most iconic themes that he ever wrote. There's little touches like this here and there throughout the entire 40 year nine soon to be nine film saga that he created, where you can see that not only was he being influenced by 
the styles of these early film scores and the action adventure kind of swashbuckling feel of them. Um, he's also being heavily influenced by the classical composers that he studied. And as you mentioned, he went to Juilliard. I mean, his chops and his training and his education are unparalleled. So he is truly, truly thinking on so many different layers and levels. And we real that really um, hit audiences right in their hearts as they heard these late motifs and started associating them with these characters that we've all grown to know and love so much. For me, John Williams was like the first time I really learned that music can be the dialogue alone. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you take all of the spoken lines out of Star Wars and you just leave that music in there, you will still get what the movie is about without even hearing a single lick of dialogue, you know? And I think that's unique to this franchise in particular. I'm not sure many movies out there can truly do that. I mean, I could think maybe like Howard Shore can do it with, with the Lord, Lord of the Rings. Rings. Yeah. Because yeah. like, I mean, that that's like the only other thing I could even think of as, as a comparison to just pure genius uh, on the part of a composer. And, you know, John Williams in, in this documentary, he really said it was about supporting or creating the emotional atmosphere of the film. So for example, this documentary was about the Empire Strikes Back and he, at their spotting session, where which is where you plan where music is needed, that sort of thing, they were working on the carbon chamber scene and they called him Johnny on yeah. set and around the behind the scenes, which I thought was hilarious. It's just yeah, such a funny way. All his friends still way. call him that and he calls everybody baby. <laughs> so if he was talking to you, he'd be like, Bradley, baby. That's how he talks, yeah. So you're telling me <laughs> if Adam Driver showed up to a scoring session, he would say, Adam Driver, baby. That that would be uttered? He'd probably just say, Adam, baby. Yes, I'm sure. And I'm sure he said it to Daisy at some point because he loves Daisy. Daisy is his That's amazing. <laughs> well, th so there is saying, uh, Irvin Kirshner, who was the director of The Empire Strikes Back, he said, Johnny is quite adept at finding the point of view for a scene and augmenting the emotion that's there maintaining a long piece of music and getting all the variations without making it a Mickey Mouse where you can accent every little bump and every little crash. And he says, you know, the music is the dialogue in that particular scene. The two people are in open conflict, but the music says, ah, what you're seeing is maybe conflict, but I think they're falling in love. And I thought that was really, really great. Because again, if you take the dialogue out where the dialogue is indicating that there is conflict, but the music's telling you something opposite. It's telling you the true underlying narrative that's that's happening in that scene so and i think the the force theme that you bring up on the you know when he goes home and and he sees his aunt and uncle burning that's the same exact composition that plays when ray takes the lightsaber so it's almost like that hero's journey it's when they fully embrace the, the call to call. action you know yeah, exactly that's it's when she accepts it so it's the same piece that happens in both places and you know that whole idea of scoring what the audience can't see that is something that i learned in my film music training of score you don't necessarily need to score the moment that the person's expression changes or the moment that there's a flicker in their eyes or the moment that their body turns you're actually scoring the moment before that when they make their internal decision and that's something that John Williams is really amazing at. And he always is bringing something to it that you're not even aware of. He's guiding and leading your emotions. He's guiding you through the scene and he's taking you on this journey. And, you know, when you think about the one place in The Last Jedi where he and Ryan disagreed was, of course, the hand touch scene where John Williams had originally written something more ominous and more threatening and menacing because obviously the character of Ray is John Williams's favorite character from the sequel trilogy. And he loves Daisy. He loves her performance. And so you can hear it in the Ray's theme that he wrote, which for a lot of people is their favorite new theme from the sequel trilogy and one of their favorite things he's ever written, myself included. 
And so I would agree he, with that. Yeah. He's seeing Kylo still kind of as a threat to Ray. He's seeing still that this is something that we're not sure about, but Ryan is saying, no, we've been through all of this progression for them through their force bonds. And he's kind of, they're just sitting in front of each other right now, completely vulnerable and they're reaching out and we need to believe, his direct quote is, we needed to believe in the romance, right? So that's why John Williams went in and changed that and said, okay, I see what you're saying, made it so that it's much more questioning and unsure. And then when their hands actually touch, the force theme does swell. It's not any sort of Raylo love theme yet, which I believe we're getting in 24 days. Um, it's Please. nothing like that. <laughs> it's the force theme because the force actually has a role, an active role to play in all of the movies. And especially in The Last Jedi, one of the biggest criticisms people have of that score is, oh, we hear the force theme too often. And I don't think that that's a criticism. I believe that the force theme is actually commenting on the action. And when you're hearing it, it's because even if it's on a person who doesn't have force sensitivity, like quite often we hear it underlying the speeches of people who aren't Jedi and don't have force sensitivity. It's because the force is saying, yes, this person needs to be on this journey. This person needs to have this happen. This is who we're believing in. We want the resistance to win. And the force wants their hands to connect. The force wants them to come into balance because that's the only way that the force will be balanced in the galaxy will be saved. So it's little touches like that. It's little ways that we can take why the choices were made at these certain moments and understand the depth of understanding there. And to think that that was the only thing that Ryan and John needed to change out of that entire long masterpiece of a movie. I mean, that's incredible. I, I got to say, I don't understand the criticism too much of too much force theme because that is such a beautiful theme. I'm like, I could watch two straight hours of just the force theme and I'd be like, my heart would be swelling the entire time. I'd be like, oh, this is yeah. beautiful. <laughs> and there's a reason. There's a thought out reason you know? for everything. And yeah, yeah. Know, I, to me, The Last Jedi is my favorite score that he's ever done. And yes, it's I so am. so good. I am including the prequels in this. A lot of people really love the prequels because there's so many huge bombastic moments and there's, you know, duel of the fates and there's this hundred piece master Corel and there's all this like really amazing stuff. There's battle of the heroes. There's across the stars. There's all of this amazing material to work with. But for me, he is at the height of his powers right now. He is at mm -hmm. the height of his craft right now. I'm sure The Rise of Skywalker would take The Last Jedi's place as my favorite. He's had all that time in between the prequels and now to just get better and better. And what he's doing in The Last Jedi is so subtle and so layered. And you can take every scene and dig into it. I've written a quite long meta about several scenes within the movie and I'm working my way through every single scene talking about it because yeah. there's that I could devote the next year of my life to just breaking down every scene, like listening to the score only version and talking about why it's so ingenious. So to me, it really is the best that we've ever gotten from him because he's just at the peak of his powers now. Yeah. And he is truly giving it at all. He is truly giving it his all as a final send off to this thing that he started 40 some years ago, you know, and the fact that when these sequels were announced and he was, and he unveiled that he would be returning, that was like a huge weight off of all Star Wars fans shoulders, you know, not that anybody else can't pick up the mantle because I think Michael Giacchino, I think that is one of the most underrated Star Wars scores ever. I think that Rogue One is probably my, one of my favorites. I don't personally for me, I know some people don't like it, but John Powell, I think did a pretty good job with Solo and even, you know, 
John Williams worked a little bit with him, and we're seeing now Ludwig Goransson. <laughs> we see Ludwig Goransson is working pretty well on the the Mandalorian, doing some great music there. Excellent. So yeah, yeah, it's it, there's just so much happening in the sequel trilogy, and let's talk a little bit about those two particular themes that I I'm a very fond of is the Ray theme and the Kylo theme. Those are the the central points of, of this trilogy. And we've heard them so much repeating over and over and over in different variations. And especially Kylo's theme, uh, Ben Demption, it's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we'll hear some sort of Ben Demption theme in this, in this new movie and get like a Ben Solo theme. That's like my biggest hope for what's to come. Um, me too. But, me too. And you um, know, a lot of, a lot yeah. of people have theorized that, you know, at the end of the first trailer, we do hear the DSE ray that I mentioned to you before, but we hear it in a Lydian major key. Da, 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 da. And that first interval, da, da, you could take that and go, da, 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 and hear Kylo's bad guy theme. So a lot of people heard that DSE ray at the end of that trailer and went, wait, was that Kylo's theme in a major key? Was that a bend? Right. And I, you know, we immediately jumped onto Twitter. Frank Lehman, who is the world's foremost um, John Williams and Star Wars music saga like encyclopedia, he is at Tufts. He's a full-time music theory professor. He knows everything about Star Wars music, and he was very quick to jump on and um, David Collins and a couple other music people and say, "No, it wasn't his theme." But I do believe that it is completely intentional that they did it that way to make you think about Kylo's theme and then have it resolve in this incredibly beautiful triumph way. I believe that's a huge clue for Ben Demption. So there's all kinds of clues already hidden inside of both of their themes. And of course, Kylo has two, technically three themes, and Ray has one, but it's broken up into three different parts. Mm-hmm. And so the way that those different themes and different parts of the themes are used and the way that they are um, transformed in all of these different um, iterations and what we potentially could see in the rise of Skywalker with what we know about the dark Ray vision. Is that a vision? Is that real uh, with Ben Demption with the Raylo theme? How is it, how are these going to come together? Is it going to be something completely new or is it going to be a blend of parts of their themes? Mm-hmm. Who, there's, we don't know, like there's no real way of predicting the things that we do know are that their themes are very cleverly in- intertwined with similarities and it's also very cleverly intertwined with across the stars. Yes. So because the story of Raylo is reverse Anidala, we do see parts of their themes being the reverse of parts of across the stars. And, you know, I've talked about this on what the force and scavengers toward in a couple of their podcasts. And it's, there's some amazing metas that we could link to your listeners so they can read more about it, but it's all connected. It's all really well thought out. And so that's why I'm really excited to see what direction he ends up going in for a Ben Demption theme for a Raylo love theme. And a lot of people think that the Raylo love theme might just end up being the force theme. A lot of people really do think that he might just keep that through line from the hand touch. However, I personally do not think that he can let John Powell have the last say on love themes because <laughs> from solo with Lando's closet and that amazing love theme for Han. Yeah. And Kiro, I think John Williams is like, okay, nice job. Young and hold my beer. I think <laughs> I think he's going to come through with one more really incredible love theme to join Han Solo and the princess and across the stars. Yes, I I would have completely agreed with that. I think he's really going to pack a punch with this. And we've heard, what, two hours and 13 minutes of of what he's recorded so far, which in the music world, that's a lot. You know, the movie is going to have its quiet moments. And I think that the overall film, I think, is two and a half hours. That leaves about 20 minutes unscored. 
So that's a lot of music. That is a ton of of music to be scoring for this film. Such a treat. Oh my god, it's gonna be amazing. When he first came back to the sequel trilogy, they interviewed him and, you know, he said when he was coming back to The Force Awakens, he said, you know, I've been able to use earlier material and develop new material that would coexist with it. So it fits back to, again, him making sure that the old stuff is feeling like a fabric of this of these new films. And on Ray's theme, he said, you know, her theme has a musical grammar that is not heroic in the sense of a hero's theme. It's kind of an adventure theme that maybe promises more than resolving itself in the most major triumphant resolutions. And he says he feels a lot of empathy for that girl. And then with with Kylo, he says he approached it as an extension of Darth Vader in a way. And he didn't want to get too close to it. But if he could convey in a a few short notes, like the Imperial March does, this evil power, strength, and and threat, it needs to be something that that will hit you as accessible right away. And the fact that he really talks so strongly about those two themes goes to show that these are really two the two central figures of this of this trilogy. And race theme is just so beautiful. It's full of so much adventure and mystery and and curiosity and discovery. And I think that's yeah. why when we first see her on screen and we don't know who it is quite at first, but we just hear the the slightest notes of of kind of this hint of of something something new and something undiscovered. I think that's really really hit a lot of people when we were introduced to her. Yeah. And I love this quote where, you know, he says that when he came back, he felt a renewed energy and a vitality and a freshness. He was really excited to dig back into this and to take the texture and the fabric of what George Lucas created, but seeing how J.J. Abrams was bringing it back to life for this new generation of fans and characters. Like, you know, I'm eventually going to show my kids Star Wars in release order, but they've grown up with, you know, oh, go pick out some cereal at Target. Oh, my, just today my son grabbed the box of cereal because it had Ray on the front and he <laughs> went to sleep last night in his Kylo Ren pajamas. You know, they've really gr- had these characters kind of immersed in their world. And when we go to Galaxy's Edge, I'm sure that those are the characters that they're going to want to meet the most. And when he talked about Kylo's theme here, saying that there's a more ruminative part that's usually done softly. That's his, you know, conflict theme. He said, I don't think it portrays any particular weakness, but possibly hesitancy. Like here we are, John Williams giving us all the clues to Kylo's character that he's never been fully committed to being this evil badass that people wanted him to be for so long. Mm -hmm. And then there's his other bad guy motif that's often strong. And that seems to be the embodiment of evil that he wanted it to be a relative to the Darth Vader's but also something entirely different and he yes he really did achieve that so many times we hear kind of a, a play on a motif like that it's kind of like a general dark side motif A lot of people tweeted me a couple months ago saying, oh my God, have you seen this moment in The Phantom Menace where Padme's ship is landing on Tatooine for the first time and we totally hear Kylo's theme. And you go back and listen to it, and of course it is reminiscent of it, but that's an example of what me and Marie Claire have started calling the sandbox of Star Wars music, like these different composers, such as Ludwig, such as um, John Powell, who get to play in the sandbox of different harmonies and tonalities and textures that John Williams created. So I very 
really strongly doubt that John Williams ever intended to link Kylo's theme to this random moment in The Phantom Menace when Padme is <laughs> right? right? And, you know, there's so many times you can go back and say that because in the beginning, they didn't even know there was going to be a second film. So, of course, when Darth Vader kills Obi-Wan and Luke says, no, you hear Princess Leia's theme. That's not for any particular reason. That's because it's a da, 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 it's this amazing, heart-wrenching, big leap of the melody, and it's beautifully orchestrated. And he felt it was right in the moment. So not everything is hyper-connected and there right. for a reason, super detailed, but you know, a lot of it really is. So I think that everybody in our analysis, there's some things that we can take and say, you know, I, I really think that this means something and this is connected. And maybe it turns out to be true or not. Whether it's true or not, this is something that Felicia Dubsky, um, she's known on Tumblr as Raylo Musings, and she's one of the OG like sequel trilogy and analysts musically. She has this take on it where it says, it doesn't actually end up taking away from my enjoyment of analyzing it in this way if it turns out to be not, tr not linked, if the composer didn't intend that. I agree with that. And I also think it's really cool when it does turn out to be accurate. So, right. <laughs> I think that's the best part of like, you know, the, the iterative storytelling of star Wars is you can watch new stuff and then go back to the old stuff. What, like you said, whether or not it is intentional to find those moments where you're like, Oh, okay. Here's something that maybe subconsciously John Williams is feeling about these characters 20 years ago. And now he's kind of getting that tickle again in his mind where he's like, okay, this is how I feel about this specific character. So that's why I'm going to write the music this particular way. And then it unintentionally ends up mirroring something that came before or something yeah. sounds very similar. And in this case, it kind of makes sense because that ship landing on Tatooine, I mean, now she is there. Anakin is there. You know, there's still a huge gigantic age difference between them at this point. But now the two people who are kind of going to set off this terrible chain of events now they're actually going to meet. So that foreboding feeling and that motif that is ends up being linked to Kylo's motif, that does actually make perfect sense in the Star Wars sandbox. So okay, he's showing you his Han Solo blaster. <laughs> so you know what? Han Solo's theme is great, by the way. Just saying. Yeah. One of the yeah, best. I was really, really <laughs> happy that that John Williams and John Powell worked together on that and that we got to hear that theme. And yes. everything, their relationship and partnership just seemed so beautiful. And actually, I saw Powell tweeted the other day that um, he's he was in a scoring session for a movie. I believe it's called Call of the Wild. And John Williams stopped by wearing his trademark black turtleneck. And oh, my gosh. And came by <laughs> to see how John's recording session was going. So they've obviously stayed close friends. And uh, yes. special. And I got to meet Powell also as part of the workshop that I did this year. Oh, that's great. An afternoon in his studio. Um this is, you know, for a lot of these meetings that we had with the big composers, we're not actually allowed to uh, relay what we sat and talked about because they were thankfully very frank and open with us and really gave us a lot of insight into their working lives. But everything that he had to say about the experience of working with John Williams was just, you know, anything that any of us would say about getting to work with someone like that and right. someone who revere so much. He was so grateful and so happy and had obviously gained so much from the experience. So. Yeah. And, and speaking more too, and just like the power of music and, and why, again, I don't, I, I truly don't think Star Wars would be the same without Williams' score. He set the precedent and I think it invaded our lives because of it. Obviously moving forward, we won't have him anymore. So there's going to be a lot more people filling those roles, whether it's maybe a John Powell again, or maybe Kevin Kiner gets to step up and do some Love live him. action stuff. Maybe Gordy Hobb gets to come in from the video games. Yeah, so there's a lot of good stuff that that could happen, and I think he he really set the bar of where Star Wars music needs to be. And 
he was at an Academy event back in 2014. Again, this is before The Force Awakens comes out. And the event was called Behind the Score, The Art of the Film Composer. And this was moderated by Tavis Smiley. And John said, you know, music is words that can't be spoken. It unites entire peoples, entire religions. Its power is really great. I don't think any of us fully understand how it truly works. And he talked a lot about how, you know, there's universalities in language, how some languages sound similar to others or have similar tones and inflections. Music is very much the same. There are tremendous universalities in language, as he says, and he compares it to sculpting where you have a stone and you keep taking chunks out of that stone to fig- figure out what's underneath and you might not know what you're going to find. So going back to earlier, how he, you know, he can sit there and have that sort of music composer's block where he doesn't know what he's going to find by watching these films and scoring them, but uh, eventually he gets to something that can speak to so many different cultures and religions mm-hmm. and people around the world, which is why I think Star Wars is so revered and accepted into our in our world. And what do you what do you think of a quote like that in terms of like there are universalities in music and it can it can speak to so many different yeah. like societies. I love I love that quote so much. And you know, obviously he is writing in a very Western tonality. He is writing in a very classical, romantic film music language. So I think that the key to why it resonates is because the overall story of Star Wars and the mythology is a human story. It doesn't belong to any one culture. Every single culture worldwide has the adolescent becoming an adult, has the hero's journey, has people going through these experiences, has war, has family, has... um, pain and marriage and love going wrong and love not being able to save someone when you thought it could. So his music, even though he is writing from a very specific tradition, because he is so adept at tapping into the emotional layers and bringing those and heightening them, he has been able to cross the boundaries of language and culture and generationally keep everybody so invested in the story through the use of leitmotif and being able to associate a theme with a character, a theme with a situation, a type of instrumentation with a location. He really has such a deep understanding of the story that everything that he's written for enhances it and has everybody listen and view it through the lens of their own upbringing and everything that they've been through and everything that they've experienced. I think that it is, I can't think of anybody who does it as well as he does, even when he's scoring projects that aren't Star Wars, when he's moved on to um, one of my absolute favorite scores that he's done kind of in recent years is for a movie called The Book Thief, which is obviously like a World War II um, Holocaust era movie based on a really heartbreaking book. And what he has on display, it's actually quite a deceptively simple score, but that's an incredibly painful era and historical um, lens to be telling the story from. And I mean, of course, you could date this back to his life-changing, groundbreaking work on Schindler's List as well. I think that he is just able to get to the humanity of every story and tell that story through his music. Adding on top of that, too, just the performances and the mythology of Star Wars, it's like the perfect storm, you know? Star Wars was was meant to come into our world and, you know, John Williams's music just completely elevates us to a different existence, a different level of, <laughs> you know, like Nirvana. You go into that theater and you're just completely captivated and you can completely forget anything that's happening outside in the world. And I think that's why it's so easy to escape into this galaxy far, far away and why so many people 
it's not it's it's more than just a movie i mean it is a movie at the end of the day but when you watch it it captivates you and it speaks to you because of the music the music is speaking to you in a language that you don't really know necessarily how to translate but it just it fills you with the butterflies it 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 gets your your pulse racing you might start to sweat a little bit and you're like i there's something happening in me right now i don't know what it is and that's why he says in this quote you know i don't think any of us fully understand how it truly works it's almost like the force you know yeah (laughs) the music is the force in real life you know the composer like me and some of my friends and colleagues can go sit and watch these movies and Ooh, did you hear that bassoon? Did you hear that slinky bassoon? And he combined it with the double bass. And then I think there's, <laughs> you know, we're analyzing the orchestration. Yeah. And we're hearing it and saying, you know, how did that particular orchestration evoke this particular emotion? And how can I work that combination into my own film scoring and try to create something similar to that? Like we're hearing it like that. Somebody who's not necessarily trained in music and orchestration isn't going to be able to pinpoint exactly what instrument or combination was used but they know that it's hitting all of those emotional places and it's taking them where they need to be to absorb the full impact of this scene and everything that went into it, the dialogue, the acting, the directing, the lighting, the costume. The I, I mean, when I went to my first film set of a film that I was scoring and I really understood how much work goes into this and how when somebody pans a movie as bad or I didn't like it or it sucks, you know, the amount of people who worked on that for so long and put all of their heart and blood, sweat and tears into it. I mean, every movie is a miracle. Every movie is an absolute miracle that it ever happens from the smallest low budget indie to the rise of Skywalker. Yes. So I love that about filmmaking. I love that about film music. And um, to me, there's nothing better than sitting in the theater that main theme fanfare comes on you're reading the crawl, you're getting yourself in the zone, and then the first notes of his score begin. And it's an unknown score for Star Wars that you haven't heard before. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the last time we're going to be able to do that with John Williams. Like, right. I cried the other day. I cried thinking about this because it just draws you in in such a way that like nothing else, even the imagery, even whatever scene it starts out on, nothing else draws you in than more than hearing, where's he going with this now? Where am I going from that familiar main theme and opening crawl? What world am I going into? Where am I? Uh, yes. Who am I with right now? You know, it's, I think that's too why, at least for me, I start crying during the opening crawl. Every time oh, I yeah. see a Star Every Wars time. movie, I actually cry when I see the Lucasfilm, when I see the yes. Lucasfilm like that, that's when I start. Yeah. <laughs> and that moment, of silence where you get galaxy far far away and before you see star wars that's like the one moment where you're like okay this is it this is before everything starts and i think at least in this december when that happens i'm like this is the last first for me of a star wars film like i know there will be more star wars but it's just not going to be the same you never know what could happen for all we know lucasfilm could shut down in a year like you just never know what could happen you know so you got to take every moment like it's the last and this might be the very 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 last time we ever have that just moment of pure bliss where it's like, what's going to happen next? Yeah. And it's just, I, I can't believe it's happening. And I haven't gotten too emotional about it. I think because I'm like trying, I'm in that stage of denial where like, oh, it's not the last one, you know, it's not happening. But like, I know when I step in that theater and I sit down in my seat and the lights go down, it's something, it's something's going to happen gonna hit in you. my head. You know, yeah. I'm going to snap. <laughs> and so the way that I'm, the way that I'm trying to think about it is like, okay, so we know that Disney is the most profitable company on the planet that has ever existed. So, yes. and we know that Star Wars is like a huge part of their IP. And so the way I'm consoling myself is that in about 10 years, we will get the next 
journey in the Skywalker saga, because the, I think that the rise of Skywalker is going to end showing us that the generation will continue, whether yes. that literal children or Ray just being pregnant or the two of them just flying off together. I think that it will symbolize that the Skywalkers are going to continue. And yep. I think in 10 years when this little guy is 15 and doesn't want to hang out with his mom anymore, I'm going to <laughs> be trying to get him to go see those movies with me. However, John Williams will not be scoring them. Right. The next iteration of the Skywalker saga will not have his music. It will have his themes, of course, but he will not be doing it. And that part, I cannot avoid the sadness. Yeah. I, can, I can console myself in so many other ways, that, um, especially because The Mandalorian is so good, and especially because I loved Solo so much. And like so, all the Same. animation that we're getting, like Resistance is incredible, Rebels is incredible. Like I, the future of Star Wars is so bright and so beautiful and amazing and like deep and gorgeous that I, I don't get too sad for too long. But when it comes to J-Dubs, when I think about this is the last movement in his symphony, I do... I do tend to tear up a little bit on that. Yeah. And you know, too, I mean, this, it's a little morbid, but you know, when we, when we get to a point potentially where he, he passes, you know, his legacy is going to carry on forever. And I, you know, I, I think he's just made such a huge contribution to the film world and our world in general. I mean, his scores are literally used for the Olympics, which is one of the most human things ever, you know, losing, winning, overcoming the odds. Like it speaks to like athletes around the entire world. It's why it's used for that specific event. And just everything he's done has had such an impact. Yeah, and, I would, I would venture uh, to say that. I want to see if you agree with me. Okay. So obviously when you think about who the most famous and well-known and most performed composers are worldwide. Okay, so we're talking on the level of Mozart. We're talking about Beethoven. We're talking about Bach. We're talking about all these different composers. And you go up to an average person on the street. Let's say we're in like Iowa and we're also somewhere in France and we're in um, somewhere in Japan and we're somewhere in Australia and we're somewhere in Egypt. We're all over the world and we walk up to an average person and we say, hey, can you hum something um, by Mozart or can you hum something by Beethoven? Probably quite a few people will be able to go, oh, Mozart, uh, da, 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 or they'll say, oh, Beethoven, <laughs> da, 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 you know, they'll be able to do right. that. I guarantee you that you'll go up to every single one of those people again and you say, hey, what does Star Wars sound like? They can go, ba 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 Or you could say, hey, what does Jurassic Park sound like? Or what does Indiana Jones sound like? What does E.T. Yep. sound like? I truly think, so how many people are alive today? There's like 7 billion people, right? I truly think that John Williams has been heard and beloved by more people than all of our composers whose work we've had for hundreds of years. Yeah. I might be totally wrong in this judgment and this assessment, but I think that he is the most well-known and beloved and most listened to composer of our entire musical tradition. And I believe I that agree he with will that. remain that way and that he will live forever. That's what I tweeted the other night when I saw the scoring sessions tweet that they were doing the last bit of Rise of Skywalker music on that evening. I tweeted out, the story lives forever and you will live forever. He has yes. achieved immortality. <laughs> in a way, in a way that I don't think any other composer has, yeah. and especially because you know they've all of these other g- ingenious composers that we've had over the past hundreds years, hundreds of years of of musical tradition. Their music is certainly used in film quite often, but this is another level of how his music is indispensable to all of these classic iconic stories that are beloved 
for all time and are you know continually watched over and over again by new generations the peak of that to me being star wars oh gosh it gets me emotional thinking about it (laughs) i'm like oh god well let's talk about you know our favorite moments from from john williams and uh, this this academy event that he was at five years ago tavis asked him do you ever have those moments where you think quote I'm going to kill him with this one. <laughs> and John says, let's put it this way. There are moments where I'm more secure than other moments. <laughs> you know, he's very humble about the way that, you know, those mic drop moments of music. So what have been yeah. some of those moments for you in Star Wars in particular where you, he just went somewhere that completely wrecked you and you're like, wow, I did not think he was going to take me to that plane of existence. And here I am in my seat quivering and shaking yeah. and crying like all the rest of the emotions like what was that for you um i i have three i have three examples one from the original trilogy one from the prequel trilogy and one from the sequel trilogy and these awesome. are by no means top of the list these are just the ones i'm choosing to reference right now so for the pr- original trilogy um it's from the empire strikes back and the queue is called the asteroid field Oh, so, so good. Da, 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 da. That moment of them flying through that asteroid and, da, 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 and the asteroids flying by and Leia freaking out and 3PO saying, you know, losing his mind in the back and Han just like <laughs> Han and Chewie expertly piloting through it. And then the way the music, when they flip the Falcon up and go down into the cave and you hear the French horn bah, 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 as it goes down. Right, right. Like, that blew my mind when I was a kid. I would rewind that until I'd almost worn the tape out. And then as soon as I was older and I was able to get copies of the score, I started out collecting um, piano arrangements of his music. And then as I got into high school and college and grad school, I started actually collecting the orchestral scores. And that is still a cue that I sit down with, even though I've been studying it for like 20 years, I sit down with that and I follow along in the score and I'm noticing new things every time. It is a purely ingenious piece of music and it fits the action and the picture and the emotion so perfectly. And it showed up in solo. And they had a reprise of it in Solo, which oh, I mean, I, I was out of my I was seat. crying. Yeah. Yep. It was so great. So yeah, that's good. probably the best callback in Solo. And then yes. I remember being in the theater um, on opening night for Attack of the Clones and Padme and Anakin are standing there in the little cart being pulled out with their hands bound and being pulled out into the arena on Geonosis to face, you know, probably certain death if they can't get their weapons back. And 
you know, say what you will about the chemistry between these two actors and the dialogue that they were given. It's an amazing moment where they have their like full profession of love. And we've heard little hints of Across the Stars throughout the movie. This is the first time we hear the full-fledged, beautiful, like fully orchestrated, swelling version of it. And just that iconic shot of them silhouetted and they're kissing as they roll out slowly into this arena and Across the Stars is just blossoming in this incredible way. lost it then, sobbing, couldn't handle it. I love that whole sequence when all the Jedi show up. I mean, that gets me out of my every time. And they're all getting into their battle forms and stuff. And uh, (laughs) one of my friends, one of my oldest friends actually just randomly texted me like a year ago. He had just been thinking about this and he's like, you know, just one thing I can't understand is how were the, there were so many Jedi in that arena and like, how did they all get killed? Like, can't they use the force? And I'm like, dude, they were using the force. They were completely overrun by droids and by, right. um, you know, these, those Geonosians with then like all of this shit was coming at them from every angle and you can only use the force to deflect so many blaster bolts. Like you can only use the force, like so in your lightsaber so much, like of course yeah. that ended up getting slaughtered. Like the original Jedi temple got taken out just by Anakin and a bunch of of clone troopers so like relax right. anyway um <laughs> i love that part and then from the sequel trilogy i wrote this whole essay on the spark the spark is one of from the, the last jedi from the last jedi from the starting moment of leia sitting down and saying the spark has gone out to luke walking into their moment together to him walking back out and facing down the entire first order with a laser sword i mean <laughs> it is unbelievable the layers of meaning and musical reference and instrumentation and rhythmic and just everything that he has going on in that single cue all the callbacks and all the new material being woven together That's probably one of my absolute favorite parts of the sequel trilogy and yes. my jaw on the floor the first time I saw that and every subsequent time. I, I like the way you went with that. So you got original prequel and sequel trilogy. What's I'll yours? give you mine. So the original trilogy, I really, you know, I think I have to go with you. The asteroid field chase is just one of the most unbelievable pieces of music I've ever heard in Star Wars. And 
when I when they released like one little clip from Solo, I remember before it came out. And I was like, oh, like, this is just a cool little clip. I'll watch it. And you hear the... I was like, oh, my God. I was like, they're going there. So when you're sitting in the theater in Solo and I'm waiting and the Kessel Run chase starts, Solo is one of my favorite Star Wars films. It is so good. It is so good. It is so underrated. I know. I, I completely agree with you. And when he goes in there and the music's kind of ominous and you start seeing... You're like, you know, he can't see out of the cockpit and all of a sudden the asteroids start coming at him. I'm like, I don't know if this is like an asteroid theme or the Millennium Falcon theme. I can't tell what theme this really belongs to. But to me, it just belongs to the theme of Han Solo is about to pull an unbelievable stunt theme. That's that's Mm -hmm. what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. So some of the best scoring I've heard, I would say besides that, uh, just to not repeat you, I would say an honorable mention is Cloud City when they escape. Yeah. When you have the, you know, uh, do 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 do. R2 shoots the smoke and they're running on the platform. Shooting is going back and forth. It's such a high stakes moment. You're on the edge of your seat. You want them to escape. Luke's, he's in huge danger right now. You're like, I hope they don't get in this much danger too. Like there's just so much riding on them getting out of there right now. That's one of my favorites for the original trilogy as well. I can listen to that all day. And it was definitely Empire Strikes Back was how I got through college, studying and doing homework, all that. Prequel trilogy, the immolation scene, I think, is very often overlooked, but it is it is truly it, it feels like something that would have been in like a Shakespeare play, I feel like almost. And the it's amount of so, foreshadowing going on and just yeah. the creepiness and the unsettlingness. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, and it, it's just it's the theme of the downfall of Anakin Skywalker. It is the yep. death of Anakin Skywalker. That's what plays over his death. Very, but I very... agree with you on Revenge of the Sith. Absolutely. It is yeah. incredibly painful and heartbreaking. Yeah. It brings out some of the best acting from Ewan McGregor, especially. Yep. And yep. Uh, leaving him there to die on that hill is, is just uh, it's, couldn't it's do very, it. very, couldn't very impactful. Him off. Yeah. Yeah. So that to me, you do hear a hint of that too. I've noticed in the crate sequence when the door, when they're about to crack the door open, you actually mm-hmm. hear hints of the immolation scene, which is one of my favorite parallels between the prequel and the sequel trilogy and another instance of where the hope or the desperation and the feeling of destruction and death ensuing upon this group of heroes. It's calls back to that death of one of the Republic's own heroes. And now it's happening again. History is is repeating itself. And I think that's why that theme kind of plays into that sequence uh, when the door blows open. 
And it's also an, a moment in The Last Jedi where, you know, the chorus is being used. It's actually used very sparingly throughout The Last Jedi. We don't hear it too often. The prequel scores are very hev- heavy on the choral aspect. Yeah. And so that's another way that they're calling back is by using the choral and orchestration during that moment. And then at the end when Ray is lifting the rocks and everything. So, um, yeah. I know that they're on the rise of Skywalker. There is going to be more use of chorale and choral music than there was on the last Jedi. So we have that to look forward to. That is going to be amazing. And now speaking of the sequel trilogy, my favorites is crate when the millennium Falcon flies in to the battle and you hear yeah. like, uh, yeah. and then it goes into Ray's yeah. theme as well. So cool. And then it goes back into the theme that we hear on the TIE Fighter attack from A New Hope. Which is also in Solo. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Solo is so underrated. It's so yeah. underrated. That score in the Kessel Run is brilliant. So again, that 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 theme on Crate and just seeing the visual imagery of this red planet and Chewbacca pulling all the stunts to save the resistance. And it's just such a heroic moment for him. Yeah, especially dude. and we gotta it's just such Chewbacca. a great callback he really needs props for the way that he piloted the falcon through those mines on crate i mean yeah. he really like chewbacca needs all the props like i really <laughs> hope that he i remember um one of the first things that my brother asked me when we finally watched um a new hope i mean i'd been watching it over and over again and then when we got an, a copy of it at our house my brother turns to me and he's like where's chewbacca's medal and, you know, I know that there's been many explanations now for why he did not get a medal at the end of A New Hope when everyone was getting rewarded. I want to see Chewie get all the medals. Okay, so we have ditched the extended universe. We are not following that canon. If Chewie dies in that canon, I want none of that. <laughs> I want Chewie being rewarded. I want him yep. with his family. I want him just living the rest of his life, like, glowing like on a in beach. all of his rewards. Yes. Drinking margaritas, you know. In Wookiee Bermuda shorts, just kicking back, enjoying <laughs> his well-earned rewards. Like, And Chewie has become like the spiritual father to this group of people now because they've lost Han and they've lost Luke. And I really want to see him get his due because, I mean, Chewbacca and Rey really saved the day of The Last Jedi. And yes. also I want there to be a scene with redeemed Ben Solo and Chewie. I want to see that. I agree. Here. I want you know there's I, I feel like there's almost too many things I want to fit into this two and a half hour long movie but I also trust the storytellers and the filmmakers to the point that I know that we will we will be so satisfied and I trust John Williams to know that we are going to walk out of there with a score that we will have joy analyzing for years and years to come yes well as we begin to close out the show I got to say the one thing I think could be 
could truly elevate me to a new plane of existence is somehow if Ben Solo flies the Falcon and we get either that asteroid theme feel uh that asteroid field theme playing as he's trying to maneuver yes. through first yes. order enemy fighters. And he's smiling and he's saying solo yep. things. And Chewbacca's there in the seat. And if you're wondering why Ray's not fighting, maybe she's hurt. It's up yeah. to Ben Solo to fly the Falcon and get them to safety. I would just, I would literally, I would, I would just melt. Honestly, I would melt onto the floor and be dead. Like I would just, I, I need that. <laughs> what if he's like, what if he's like flipping switches and going, come on, baby, keep it together. Like yeah. what if he is like echoing <laughs> on solo lines? Like I will, I will melt. I will also join you as a puddle on the ground. Yes. Yeah. yeah it, it truly, it truly is. It's the best time to be a Star Wars fan. We have so much to love in this franchise. And I want to close it out with a comment from you. You know, what, with John Williams leaving, for you, what does the future of, of the franchise look like? What do you want it to look like without John Williams? And, and what kind of hope? I think hope is the most important word in Star Wars. What do you hope for for music in Star Wars and the power of John Williams to, to live on? So... I think that one of my biggest hopes has already been realized in Ludwig's score for The Mandalorian. Uh, You know, obviously we've only gotten three episodes, but one of the things that I've noticed about his work is there are direct homages to John Williams. There are direct homages to other composers that are influencing him due to the genre of the show, right? Ennio Morricone for it being kind of Western, uh, Hayasaka for it being more of a Kurosawa samurai vibe. Like there's all of these different influences on him, but he is honoring the tradition of Star Wars music while still telling the story through his own voice. Mm -hmm. And I feel that that is a through line with all of the composers that we've gotten whether that's Kevin Kiner on the animated series, whether that's Powell, whether that's Giacchino, whether that's um, Joel McNeely and Gordy Hobb and Stephen Barton and all the composers who work on the video games. I think that they will continue to hire people who know how to play in the sandbox, who know the mythology, who understand the story, who revere John Williams and his work on the saga, who will bring elements of that and influences into that. I mean, I did it myself. I recently scored um, a series about women in the fandom called Looking for Leia. And I was able to um, rearrange some John Williams themes and also write my own themes and my own score for it. And what I really tried to do was honor his themes and honor his influence and let that shape the way that I wrote in trying to explain how meaningful this story is for fans and the stories that we don't often get to hear. My hope is that going forward, they will continue to make the type of decisions that they've already made, hiring these composers who know how to bring their own voice and know how to bring their own storytelling. But truly our fans of Star Wars, truly our fans of John Williams, know what it means to be able to follow in his musical lineage and really just treasure being in this world of Star Wars. And really, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit selfish here and say that I, just as we have Deborah Chow directing the third episode of The Mandalorian and blowing everyone away, and I'm sure we'll see some other voices and directors, I'm not trying to be selfish here. Like, if it's me or if it's any one of my other female colleagues, I would absolutely love to see a female composer come touch the official Star Wars musical yep. lineage. It's about uh, time. You know, not necessarily even because I think that there's any sort of quota to be filled. I don't work that way. However, the way that I do work is that I believe that, you know, women should be in the room. I want to be in yeah. the room. I want to have my demo in the room. And if I'm the right person that is going to be picked to handle this story, then I want to be that person. And there's so many incredibly 
talented of my friends and colleagues coming up right now, getting more and more high profile work and working on bigger and bigger things. The time is so ripe to bring that voice and that storytelling in the same way that they did with Deborah, the same way that they did with Victoria Mahoney being JJ's first assistant director on yep. the rise of Skywalker. I can't wait to see what her influence is on the film. So yeah. that's, that's really my take on it is that I trust them so implicitly because everybody that they have brought on so far has blown me away with what they bring to it. Yes. Even down to the level of Galaxy of Adventures, um, the Star Wars rollout series, the all this all the little animated series that I watch with my kids. The music for that, I mean, they're not working with huge orchestras, they're doing it all inside the box, but it's all so Star Wars. It's all so well done. And I think that are you agreeing with that? Yes. Yeah. He agrees. He says it's well done. <laughs> Um, you know, so I, I think that I place my full trust in them. Um, my demo is ready and waiting. I'm ready. Uh, so I'm just, you know, working every day as hard as I can to potentially get in the room someday. Yes. Well, you know what? We'll keep our fingers crossed here for you, Christy. And who knows? Maybe someday when you're the, the big composer on uh, Obi-Wan season two or something crazy like that, you know, we'll be saying, oh, she was on Friends of the Force a couple of years ago and she's she's the best and she's been working hard for it. So I have one more anecdote anecdote for you real quick. I love uh, anecdotes. When I, when I met John Williams. So yeah. it was actually, yes, I'm telling a story about you right now. It was actually <laughs> not even a year after I had had this little one. So I was still pretty sleep deprived and very emotional. And my friend who is a really good friend of John Williams had arranged it so that I could meet them. And he had been spent the entire day working on The Force Awakens. This was May of 2015. And as I'm being driven up to meet him, all my emotions are going crazy. I'm starting to cry. Like as soon as I visually saw him in the distance, I started to cry. And my friend was like, just keep it together. Like pull it together. I can't bring you up there like this. So I eventually, <laughs> I got the tears out of the way and we rolled up to talk to him. And he was the sweetest, the kindest, the best way I can describe him is that he is sparkly. He has a sparkle in his eyes and he has a very alert, very spry sort of uh, vivacity to him. And he was, I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to just fall over fawning over him and telling him how much he meant to me. So we actually ended up talking about uh, people that we knew in common and different orchestrators that he'd worked with. Um, one of his main orchestrators that he worked with for years is Conrad Pope. And I had met Conrad at an event and we talked about all this other stuff. And then we started talking about family and life. And he was just so gracious and so kind. And when we went to take a picture I kind of started to melt down again. And he just had his hand on my shoulder and he's just like patting my shoulder. Like it's going to be okay. Like comforting me because I was melting down in his presence. Like yeah. any, anytime you see him interact with fans, even that woman who drove her son to his house and her son got out of the car and started playing star Wars. On yes. His he came out. Yeah. You know? Like he's at his home. He's trying to relax. Like even that he came out like so gracious and so kind. He's just the epitome of professionalism. He's the epitome of genius. He's just, he's human. Of course, everyone is human. Everyone has their flaws. Everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time. Like you can't deny that as well, but just the reputation that he has and the way that the players who play for him are so honored to be in his presence, even though he drives them hard in those orchestral recording sessions, even though he knows exactly what he wants and he pushes for it. He's just, his like shall not come again. That's yeah. ultimately what I'm trying to say. I feel honored that I got a chance to meet him and to, we're just all so lucky that we've been given this gift. And I'm really looking forward to talking to you again after the rise of Skywalker so we can flail over the score and discuss yes. it and 
uh, this has been really, really great. I would definitely love to have you back to talk about the music and, and really dive into it. And again, I think, like you said earlier, you hit the nail on the head. His music is immortal. He is immortal and uh, he will never leave us. Uh, no one's ever really yeah. gone, I think, is, yeah. is for him that oh. it can apply. So, uh, Christy, thank you so much for coming on Friends of the Force today. It was such a pleasure having you. And I'm so glad we were able to make this work out. So where can our listeners find you and some of your work? And, and what do you have coming up that you'd like us to know about? Uh, so I'm on Twitter at Christy underscore Carew. Um, you can find my blogs on Tumblr. It's enjoyallneednothing-blog at tumblr.com. I chose that name when I was a lot younger. Don't remember why it was deep and meaningful to me at the time in my early 20s. Now I've just decided to keep it. Um, my website, ChristyCrew.com, and Looking for Leia is going to be coming out very soon. That's probably the project that I want to recommend the most to your listeners as it is a really incredible Star Wars story about fans and um, women in the fandom and how you know started out very early with the original fanzines and all the cosplayers and creators and animators and droid builders um I can't reveal the exact details of where it's going to air yet, but as soon as I can, I will tweet it and announce it. Um, you should be able to watch it and stream it very soon. And it's just a really incredible project and will um, really make everybody smile and tear up a bit. And yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest one I would want to mention. I'm definitely very much looking forward to that documentary and make sure if you're listening, go follow that documentary on, on uh, Twitter. Again, it's looking for Leia and make sure you follow Christy. Now, as for here at Friends of the Forest, make sure you give us a five-star review wherever you listen to the podcast, and you can find us at Friends of Force on Twitter and Friends of the Force on Instagram. Send us an email at friendsoftheforcepodcast at gmail.com, and consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash friendsoftheforce. Again, thank you to Aldrinian Rose, Neil Lowry, Real Foreign Boy, Chris from Kentucky, Michael Condon, and T, our patrons. And lastly, we are a part of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network, which is promoting positivity in Star Wars fandom. So, Christy, thank you once again for coming on. This was such a lovely discussion, and I think we really got to the heart of Star Wars music here on on Friends of the Force. So can't wait to have you back again in the future. Awesome. Uh, As for all of you listening, until next time, we are all ones with the Force. We are all friends of the Force, and may the Force be with you always. Always.